Am I on? Can you hear me? Excellent. Right. Well, good morning. As said, uh, my name's Rob, for those who've not met me, and um, it's my privilege to round off this summer series on Esther called uh, For Such a Time as This. Um, we've had a lot of fun, haven't we, this summer, and it's been great having the kids in with us um, throughout the whole time. And uh, I'm going to do a quick recap for, about the story. In case you don't know the story very well or in case you've missed any of the series, I'm going to do a very super quick recap, and then we're going to jump into chapter 9. So the book of Esther, if you don't know, it's uh, a story that doesn't mention God. God's not mentioned at all, but we see his hand at work behind all the situations, bringing them together to protect his people. And the story mainly centers on a king, King Xerxes. And uh, the story starts when he is uh, upset with his wife, his, the queen, and decides to get a new queen. And that becomes Esther. Now, Esther uh, is Jewish, but she's told by her uncle Mordecai not to tell anyone that she is Jewish. Um, and then we have the baddie in the story, Haman. Boo. Uh, um, and Haman takes a disliking to Mordecai, and then in turn takes a disliking to the whole Jewish people, and tricks the king into uh, choosing a day when all the Jewish people throughout the whole of the Persian Empire, which is where they are, will be completely wiped out. Now, the Persian Empire were the, the biggest uh, empire at that time in history. So this is a really big deal. And then upsets Esther and comes to the king and, persuade, and shows him Haman's dastardly plans and reveals that she is Jewish. Um, but as we learned last week from Sam, the king's decree, his law, his rule to wipe out the Jewish people, that can't be revoked. But instead, he uh, introduces a new decree where he gives the Jewish people permission to defend themselves on that day. Um, so we're going to jump in now at chapter 9. It will be up on the screen behind me. So I'd like today is to look at the end of this story, to conclude the story of Esther, and then look at what happened next, and also what we can take from it today. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn to chapter 9. I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing, um, but I do want to read specifically from the text, because there's a few words and phrases I'd love to put out today. Um, so I won't paraphrase it myself, but I'll read it straight out of the text. So chapter 9, just the first two verses to start. And it says, Now, in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews gathered in the cities throughout all the provinces of King Xerxes to lay hands on those who sought their harm, and no one could stand against them, for the fear of them had fallen on all peoples. Did you see that? The reverse occurred. The reverse happened. The Jewish people were expecting to be wiped out, but instead they win the victory. They were able to defend themselves throughout the whole Persian Empire. And this happened, as it says, on the 14th day. That was the day when they were supposed to be wiped out. The king chose that by casting lots called Pur, a bit like uh, rolling a dice. Um, in the capital of Susa, it actually took two days to wipe out all their enemies, so with the 14th and the 15th. And the first question today is, why, why is this story important to us? Why does it matter? Um, and as each week we've looked at this story, we've taken out principles and lessons we can learn from Esther and the other people in the story. But there's just one more I want to add, and look at the story as a whole. What does the whole story mean to us? And uh, some of you will recognize the film. I quite like sci-fi films, and especially time travel stories. And if any of you have watched time travel stories, often they revolve around the same idea. What would be different now if the past had changed? And so I'd just like to take a moment to look at the story of Esther and think, well, what if? What if Esther 
hadn't been in the right place at the right time for just the time as this? What if the Jews hadn't been able to defend themselves? What if they'd been completely wiped out? Think about that. This is the biggest empire in the world at the time. All the Jewish people would have been in there. If they'd been completely wiped out, no more Jews, then a few hundred, 400 years later, there'd be no Jesus, no salvation, no Christianity, no church. Maybe we wouldn't be here today. Now, obviously, I'm being hypothetical. That didn't happen. But actually, I don't want us to miss the significance of this story. Because although it's a small book in the Old Testament, actually, it, it plays its part in the bigger story, doesn't it? Because this is a really important story in Jewish heritage, because this is the moment when they survived. They weren't wiped out. And actually, that's important to us. Because 400 years later, Jesus was born. And the rest is history, isn't it? So let's not miss that significance of the story. What happened next? I'd like to spend the rest of the time looking at what happened after this victory. Because the story could stop here, couldn't it? The Jews have won, they've survived, they've defended themselves. But actually, there's far more of the story to look at. So after this time of victory, it became a time of celebration, as you can imagine. They survived. They were expecting to be wiped out, but they survived. So it's a great time of celebration. And Mordecai and Esther send letters throughout the whole of the Persian Empire to give instructions to every believer about how to celebrate they established a new celebration called Purim. And I'd like to look at that now. So I'm going to look at verse nine, oh, sorry, chapter 9, verse 20, which will be behind me again. And it says, Mordecai recorded these things. That's the story of Esther. Recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Xerxes, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month, Adar, and also the 15th day of the same, year by year as the days in which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that, they should, that, that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness, from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. And they jump to verse 26. Therefore, they called these days Purim, after the term Pur. Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter, and of what they had faced in this matter, and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them, that without fail, they would keep these two days according to what was written and at the time appointed every year, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation and every clan, province, and city, that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among the descendants." So Purim was a, a time to celebrate this victory. Two days set aside every year to remember the victory, to remember relief from their enemies. The situation was reversed. I said that earlier, didn't it? And interesting, if you look at the story, I think there's lots of reversals in the story, lots of opposites. Um, for example, it was a time of mourning, became a time of celebration, a time of holiday. The negative was turned into a positive. And I just want to stop and pause for a moment and play a game. Because the kids are in, so we need to play a game, don't we? So um, we're going to play a game. It's the opposites game. And um, this is a word game, an opposite word game. So I'm going to need some volunteers, about 12 of you. So um, just come up if you want to join in. Um, some of these words might be a bit tricky. So uh, some of you might need a bit of help with the words. But uh, let's see how many we got. Need some more. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six more. Come, don't be shy. Excellent. Great. How many have we got now? 
Nine, ten. ten, two more. Big kids if you want to be. Come on, two more. Excellent. Thank you, John. Thank you, Sarah. Well done. Right. Okay, this is how we play the game. So my beautiful assistant, Georgie, has uh, put some cards around the floor. There are 12 cards, hence why I needed 12 of you. On each card is a word, okay? And your task, when I shout go, is to run as fast as you can, avoiding each other, being careful, grab one of the cards, read the word, and then you've got to team up and find your partner with the opposite word. So for example, if you found a card that said up, you've got to find the person with the card that says down. Okay? Or if you found hot, you've got to find the person with cold. But those aren't in the game, okay? so those ones are a bit, a bit easy. So if you, get, if you struggle with the words, okay, ask a grown-up to help you, perhaps, because some of the words are tricky. Um, and grown-ups, if you see someone looking a bit lost, point them in the right direction. Okay? So when I shout go, find a word, and then find your partner, and come back to the front. Everyone understand? Go! Find your partner. Come and help them out. What have we got? Victory. We've got life, fasting, weak, defeat, sorrow. Where's your partner? Help them out, everyone. Oh, excellent. We've got partners here. Well done. We've got two here. We've got partners over there. Excellent. How about what have we got? Yep, here. Who have we got? Weak, evil, good. Yep. So who are you looking for? Strong. Who's got strong? Is there one more? Ah, thank you, Sam. <laughs> Jacob, we didn't count properly. Right. Excellent. Well done. Right, let's have a look. What have we got? So strong and weak. Show everyone. So obviously, the people were weak, weren't they? They were defenseless. They couldn't defend themselves, and yet they were given permission to defend themselves. They became strong. That's how they were able to win. What's the next two? Evil, good. So Haman made some very evil decisions, and he wanted to wipe out the people just because he took a disliking to them. And actually, the time was turned into a good time of celebration, as we're going to look in a minute. It was party time to celebrate what happened. Sorrow, gladness. So there was a time of great sorrow. We looked at that a few weeks ago with Duncan, didn't we? Um, you can imagine the sorrow that the Jewish people would have been feeling knowing this day was coming, and yet now it was turned into a time of gladness when they defended themselves. Victory and defeat, defeat. So they were expecting to lose. That's how the story was playing out, but instead, the Jewish people got, got the victory, didn't they? A complete reversal. What we got? Death and life, life and death. So again, they were expecting death here, weren't they? We were expecting the story to show that the Jewish people would be wiped out, but instead, they won, they survived, they got life. And last one. Fasting and feasting. So, obviously, we saw this a few weeks ago, fasting. The people throughout the whole of the empire fasted, so not eating, and it became a time of celebration where they did eat, and we'll look at that more in a moment. So, uh, just hold up your cards here, everyone. The opposites. This story is full of them, and this is just a few. Thank you. Give them a round of applause. Excellent. Just leave them here at the front. Thank you. Well done, everyone. And thank you for my big kids as well for joining in. Cool. So Purim. Let's look at the Purim, how it was celebrated. We've mentioned a few already. The instructions were to have a time of feasting and gladness. I like the sound of that. Feasting. They were told, eat well, eat with friends, eat with those around you. Enjoy that time. Times are always more fun with food, aren't they? Um, come to the next slide, Peter. So... 
Yeah, so feasting, gladness. This is not just a polite, we're pleased that we won kind of situation, is it? This is an over-the-top joyful celebration. You can imagine it, like the end of a war, you would celebrate, wouldn't you? They went big in their celebration. They were told, eat, feast, and be glad, be joyful, celebrate. They were told to give gifts to each other and give gifts to the poor. And I love that because it's not just a celebration of, look at us, aren't we great, we won. This is a celebration of a good time, and it's still trying to bless those around them. That's real joy, isn't it? Everyone was involved, all the offspring, all the descendants, those around them, every generation, every city, every province. And the bit that's really important, they obligated themselves. They made a promise that without fail, they would take this time every year to remember. Without fail, they promised to celebrate. They promised to feast and be glad. And I don't know about you, but that sounds to me like serious celebrating. And what I mean is they weren't being serious. They were serious about celebrating. They made, an, they made a decision. We will go big here on this celebration. We're going to have a party every year and celebrate this victory. This great victory, a great reversal, led to great celebrations. So what about us? What can we take from this story at this point? We don't celebrate Purim, but we do celebrate a victory, don't we? We celebrate a greater victory. That's why we're here, isn't it? We say, come to celebrate the victory that Jesus won on the cross. Next slide, please, Joel. Thank you. So if we take this, this victory, Jesus, who was right with God, who never did anything wrong, is punished for the sin that we committed, the things we did wrong. We call that the great exchange. We actually sung about it earlier in one of the songs. All the punishment that we deserved went to Jesus, and all his righteousness went to us. Do you see the reversal in action, just like in the story? And in 2 Corinthians, a very famous verse, Paul wrote, For our sake, he, that's God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see the opposites happening, the reversal in this situation? And think about it, the gospel is the ultimate reversal story, isn't it? The old has gone, the new has come. We face death, but we get life, eternal. We deserve punishment, but we're forgiven. We were guilty, but yet um, we're, giving, uh, we're completely forgiven. We were separated, but in Christ, we're united. I could go on and on. There's so many more. Isn't that worth celebrating? Isn't that worth celebrating? Come on. Right. That's why Easter is so important, isn't it? We take time every year to stop and think about Jesus' death and resurrection. That's why communion is important, because... Jesus told us, remember, my body broken, my blood shed. He said, do this in remembrance of me. But actually, we don't wait just for communion. We don't just wait for Easter. We can celebrate this every day, can't we? We can remember every day this victory, and especially when we come together on a Sunday morning to worship and celebrate together. Now, I just want to take a moment to think about worship, because often we say we're going to have a time of worship, but actually singing and music is just one small part of our worship, isn't it? Worship is actually a lifestyle. It's a response to who God is and what he's done for us. Um, everything, we can do, everything we do every day can be an act of worship. But while preparing, I really felt this is a chance for us as a church to stop and reflect on how we celebrate and worship together on a Sunday. Are we serious about celebrating? Are we serious about being joyful? In fact, you might not know, you should all know, if you haven't noticed already, our four values up in the corner there. Love, build, serve, Celebrate. It's one of our values as a church. We're serious about celebrating here. There's one more bit I want to pull out from the story, and it's verse 31. 
And this is an interesting bit, because this is one of Esther's instructions to the people. She tells them to approach Purim, the celebration, in the same way as they did their fasting and lamenting. That's quite interesting. Remember a few weeks ago, Dunk uh, took us through that part of the story where they fasted and lamented because they were expecting defeat. And if any of you have ever fasted, you'll know that it's hard, isn't it? Fasting's hard because you have to abstain, you have to sacrifice something, you have to be determined, you have to keep going at it. Fasting's difficult. Do we bring that same attitude to our celebrating? Are we determined to be joyful? Are we determined to be uh, celebrating? I don't know about you, but in my own, uh, in my prayer times, it's very easy to spend a lot of time praying about problems, isn't it? When things go wrong, when you know someone's not well, when you know someone's having a hard time, it's easy to spend a long time praying for those people, isn't it? And praying about situations that aren't going right. It's easy to be serious about the tough times and the sad times, but are we serious about the good times too? So I just want to finish with looking at a couple of ways that we can be intentional about celebrating today. The first one, remembering the victories. We, can, we should never forget the gospel. We can never forget the victory that Jesus won for us, especially when times are tough. Okay, don't put your head down, put your head up. Look to Jesus, look to the cross. And let's not get complacent either. I was thinking about this, and um, George and I, if you won't mind me saying, we've both got a, a big birthday coming up over the next year, one of those ones that end in a zero. I don't know how that happened. But um, I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of person that just sees a birthday as just kind of like another day. It's just another year. It's just another birthday, even these big ones, whereas Georgie's already planning her party. She knows what we're eating. She already knows the playlist. Okay, she's being intentional, and actually, perhaps I need to be more intentional. Do you ever feel sometimes you come to church, it's just another Sunday, it's just another day at church? We get complacent sometimes, don't we? So let's go back to that victory. Actually, it's a privilege to be here to celebrate together. Let's not get complacent. And not only do we celebrate Jesus' victory, we get to celebrate every little victory every day. Every time someone uh, recovers from an illness, every time someone gets saved, every time we get an answer to prayer, every time we feel peace from God, every time something we, know, we see God's hand at work. Let's celebrate those victories and stand together in those. We can also be intentional by being involved. If you look at the story, everyone makes a commitment to be involved. Every age, every person, they say, we will remember, we will celebrate. And so can we. Let's enjoy our worship times together. Let's enjoy our celebrations. You know, the Bible says we can sing, we can dance, we can clap, we can raise our hands, we can shout, we can rejoice, we can delight. There's so many ways that we can worship God. Let's be involved. I'll tell you something else about myself. When I, was, when I was little, and probably still a bit like this now, to be honest, I was that kid that would go to a disco and just sit at the side. Okay? I didn't want to be on the dance floor. Well, to be honest, actually, I probably did want to be on the dance floor, but myself, I was a bit too self-conscious, and I was far happier to kind of hide in the shadows in those sort of party situations. And I felt it was a real, cool, a real challenge for us today. Let's not miss out on the party that we celebrate together. Don't... Don't sit on the edges and let everyone else dance and celebrate and sing. Let's all be involved. And lastly, another way we can be intentional is giving our best. Worship's a gift, isn't it? And a gift is to bless someone else. And our worship isn't about us. It's about blessing God. So let's remember that as we worship. And the best presents aren't always the biggest presents, are they? They're not always the most expensive presents. The best presents are the ones from the heart, the ones that you're really giving out of your heart. 
And I think worship can be like that too, can't it? We don't have to be the best singer. We don't have to be the best dancer. I know I'm certainly not. But actually, we can worship God from our heart. Whatever we've got to give, let's bring that today. So I want to invite the the, the band back up. And uh, I think it's time to celebrate, don't you? All right. So, oh, John's ready. So if you'd like to stand, let's prepare our hearts today. Let's respond. And I don't know about you, some of you might find actually it's easier to move around. Um, I sometimes like getting into a space. So if you feel you're stuck in, get into an aisle, get to the front, get to the back, spread out. Let's get ready. Let's think about how you can step out today and celebrate. Let's, let's be intentional today. Let's not just sit on the wings and watch everyone else. Let's be intentional. Let's think what we, can we bring today. It's a privilege, isn't it, to celebrate God and his goodness. Let's be extravagant now. Let's not miss out on this opportunity. So I'm going to pray, and then uh, Chris and the band will take over. Yeah, dear God, we thank you that you have won the greatest victory. We thank you for the gospel, the ultimate reversal story. The situations have been turned around in our lives. Our lives will never be the same now we know you. What a privilege it is to worship you today. What a privilege it is to celebrate your victory. Help us, Lord, to be extravagant in our worship now. Help us to give our best. Help us to be intentional today. Help us to celebrate your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.